You may be seated. If you've been in church long enough, you've heard the well-known saying that shows us the tragedy of sin. Sin will take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you more than you want to pay. How many of you have heard that before? What's ironic is that the person who said that, a famous evangelist, after his life was ended, he was discovered to be a womanizer. And I've heard that dozens of times growing up in church. And the one thing I've noticed is that when I hear that line about how sin takes you further than you want to go, I have two tendencies. I will either think about someone else's sin. And all of us have stories of somebody that we watched as sin took them further than they wanted to go. Or my other tendency, and probably like you, is I think in my life of the big sins, the ones that I'm really concerned about, and how those will take me further than I want to go. But I have a feeling that most of us, when we read this line and its truth, we don't often think of the little sins in our life. If I could revise that statement, we don't often think that of things like this. Gossip will take you further than you want to go. Drinking will keep you longer than you want to stay. Lying will cost you more than you want to pay. I suppose we rarely think of this one. Missing church will keep you longer than you want to stay. Missing a day of prayer will take you further than you want to go. Lustful thoughts will cost you more than you want to pay. And I suspect, even as I read that, some of you rolled your eyes. Or maybe if you're more respectful than that, you thought in your mind, well, that seems a little bit dramatic. Preacher talk, as some people call it. Because all of us, the reality is we have little sins in our life that we think and we deceive ourselves into thinking, if we can keep them contained this long, what makes you think, Pastor Mike, that they're that dangerous? Well, Genesis chapter 4 is what makes me think that they're that dangerous. The account we're going to read this morning is a tragic retelling of how sin takes us further than we want to go. If you weren't convinced two messages ago that Genesis 3 shows us that sin has longer reaching effects than we could ever imagine, then maybe, I think Moses asks, maybe chapter 4 might convince you. Because the story the well-known story of Cain and Abel traces the story of sin after the fall. And it shows us what I've titled this morning, the escalation of sin. Our text answers questions that you and I might have. Do little sins really lead to bigger sins? What happens when we choose to ignore the sin in our life? 
And when sin spirals out of control, do we have any hope of coming back to God? As we read our text this morning in Genesis chapter number four, I hope you'll notice that with each new paragraph, our story brings us another escalation, another step up in the effects of sin. I want us to read most of Genesis 4, verses 1 through 24 this morning. And Adam knew his wife, or sorry, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And it came, in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And then look at the end of verse number 16, or the beginning of verse 16. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And then Moses goes into a genealogy. Verse 17. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch. And he builded a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. And unto Enoch was born Irad. And Irad begat Mahuhael. Mahuhael begat Methusael. And Methusael begat Lamech. And Lamech took unto him two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other, Zillah. And then look at the verse number 23. And Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Ye wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech. For I have slain a man to my wounding, and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech. Seventy and sevenfold. This is the word of the Lord. I want you to see five principles this morning about the escalation of sin. Number one, I want you to see that the escalation of sin always begins with unacceptable worship in verses one through five. And this is the part of the story I think all of us are most familiar with. There's two offerings, the offering of Cain and the offering of Abel. And we know that God accepts the offering of Abel. 
he rejects the offering of Cain. But the question is, why? Why does God reject Cain's offering? Some say, thinking later in the Bible of the New Testament and later in the Old Testament, that Cain's offering was rejected because it was not a blood sacrifice. I don't think that's the case. The text gives us no indication of that. For one, this is not an atonement sacrifice. This seems to be a tribute offering, an offering of thanksgiving to God for blessing his people. And if you read the Old Testament law, there's plenty of those offerings that were done by vegetables. But the text does give us an indicator that there were two problems with Cain's offering. And if we read the New Testament, it gives us the same indicator. The two problems with Cain's offering was that he brought his offering with a bad heart and he gave a second-rate offering. His bad heart shows up later in Hebrews 11 when the author comments on the faith of Abel and in 1 John 3 when he comments about the unrepentant heart of Cain. And then even in the text, we see Cain's bad heart when God speaks to him and instead of responding with conviction, verse number five says that he was angry. My friend, if when the word of the Lord rubs against your life, the proper response is not anger, it's conviction. Cain had a bad heart. But in verse number four, it gives us some indicators that his offering was second rate. See, it, Moses, when he rec recalls the story, he talks about Abel giving, look at verse number four, the, fat, the firstlings and the fat. Those are two ideas that these were the best of his, his sheep. It was the best he could offer. It was the firstlings and it was the fat. But when it talks about Cain's offering, it gives no indication that he gives the best or the first. He just brings stuff. He brings of the fruit of the ground. That's all it says in verse number three. And so what Moses is trying to tell us is that there's a problem with Cain's worship. Abel is bringing his best to God and he's bringing out of a heart that truly loves God. But Cain is worshiping God with a bad heart and with second-rate offerings. And I think Moses, as he's writing the book of Genesis, understand that it's really his introduction, his prologue to the entire sacrificial system in Exodus and Leviticus. And I think Moses is trying to tell us something this morning, Christians and church family, that God does not accept worship that is offered with a bad heart or with second-rate offerings. Don't you think as he's writing this that he has in mind the children of Israel that could choose whether or not they would bring their first and their best? We know later in the Old Testament that God criticizes the offerings of his people because he does not desire sacrifice, but he desires a heart that is in submission to him. And this is an age-old problem because the truth of the matter is you may not be an Old Testament saint bringing lambs and vegetables. But as a New Testament Christian, we all struggle bringing offerings with a bad heart. I'm thankful for every offering God's people bring to him. But remember that the New Testament tells us that God doesn't just love a giver. He loves a cheerful giver. And I know with inflation, it can be hard to give cheerfully sometimes. 
But yet, my friend, let us remember that God is not looking for you just to check off a box. He wants you to bring, bring offerings to him out of a heart that truly loves him. It doesn't matter if you serve on the nursery or you serve in Kids for Truth or you serve on lawn care or you serve in media. All of those things are great. But friend, those things don't earn you brownie points with God if they're offered by a bad heart. God wants your heart first. And don't be deceived because if God has your heart, I can promise you, he'll have your hours and he'll have your money and he'll have your talents. But if he has all of those things and doesn't have your heart, he will not accept your offerings to him. But God also is warning us about the danger of bringing second rate offerings to him. You know, sometimes us New Testament givers, we might think, well, why doesn't God just accept it? I mean, isn't God gracious? It's not like Cain said, I'm not going to bring anything. He brought of the fruit of the ground. And it must have been somewhat substantial because the author doesn't say he brought like one twig to God. He brought something. And yet here is this warning that God does not just deserve something from you. God deserves your best. God is our king, and he deserves our tribute. We talked about this morning how God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, and yet sometimes as Christians, we can bring the most second-rate offerings to God. We offer him the leftovers of our time. Listen, Pastor Mike, I know that you think we should be here every Sunday, but I got stuff going on in my life. And I recognize there are providential reasons we're out of town or we're sick or things like that. But the reality is, is that so many Christians offer God their second-rate Sundays. I don't have anything better to do. I don't happen to have family in town. I don't happen to have work to do, and so I'll show up to church when it fits my schedule. My friend, God doesn't just look for the leftovers you give him. He wants your first, and he wants your best. Why was the first thing so important? Because it symbolized that they were thinking of God before they were thinking of their own increase. But yeah, when it comes to our calendar, God is often the last thing that gets put in it. God does not accept second-rate financial gifts either. Now, what I'm, I'm encouraged by as I read the Old Testament is that the Old Testament had provisions for poor people of God. There were kind of three levels. There were bulls. You could offer God a bull or a lamb or a goat or a dove. And, and the idea there is that God is not expecting from a poor person what he expects from a very wealthy and increased person. But the idea there is, is that God accepts and wants equal sacrifice, not equal dollars. But yet, so many of us, we like to excuse our lack of participation in financial gifts to God. And we want to give him something that is second rate, but does not represent the fat or the firstlings. We'll skim off the top what we need and fit God in with our budget. My friend, God wants you to give in a way that makes you reorient your life around him, not him orient his offerings around you. That's not comfortable to hear this morning, but understand that, that this offering was a financial offering in the ancient world. 
Sheep and vegetables were about the same as dollars and cents. And God does not accept second rate because friend, he has bought you, he has saved you, he has purchased you as a prized possession. He has given you the most valuable thing in his son, Jesus Christ, and therefore he does not accept offerings with a bad heart or second rate giving. We see unacceptable worship as a small sin, but the passage gives us an indicator that it was the unacceptable worship of Cain that set him on a trajectory that brought sin to new levels. And here's the second principle about the escalation of sin. Sin escalates when we ignore God's intervention. You recognize God is kind in his conviction? A God that convicts you is a God that loves you. Because God saw the trajectory of Cain's life and he stepped in and spoke to him. What's interesting is that he didn't speak to Adam and Eve while they were in their sin. He spoke to them after, but yet in his grace and his kindness, he stops Cain right in his tracks and interviews him about his sin in verse number six. He says unto Cain, why are you wroth? Why is your countenance fallen? And notice the very stern and important warning God gives in verse number seven. He says, if, you, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? You know what he's saying? He's saying, you can choose whether or not you sin. He's saying, Cain, the reason your offering wasn't accepted, it's not my fault, it's your fault. But then he gives him a warning that if Cain does not change his heart, bad things will happen. He says, and if thou doest not well, which is regarding the sacrifice. Sin lieth at the door. Literally in the Hebrew, God is speaking of sin as a lion crouching on the threshold of Cain's house. And look what he says. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Cain has a choice, God says. Cain can master his sin or be mastered by it. Sin is a lion crouching at the door. And if Cain does not subdue his sinful passions, sin will rule over him and be his master. The warning this morning is very serious, church. It's very serious that if you don't conquer sin, sin will conquer you. Even the little ones. This is the burden of our text this morning because Moses, as he writes this, I think is thinking of a nation of people who would offer sacrifices to God almost daily. All sorts of little ways that they could choose to ignore God and could be tempted to think, well, it's really not that bad. If I just do the big things right, I don't steal, I don't kill, I don't, I don't take things from other people, I don't abuse my kids, then I'm good. But Moses is warning us that sin is not neutral. Sin is always looking to take more ground from your life. If you skimp a little bit on your worship, if you hide a little bit of sin, my friend, it is a lion that will master you. Ignoring sin is about as stupid as buying a pet lion. That's what God says. 
Having large carnivorous animals in your house is a stupid idea. Or in your magic show on Las Vegas, ask Siegfried and Roy. Why should we make a big deal about worshiping God with our first and our best? Because my friend, there is a connection between the selfishness that keeps us out of church and the selfishness that holds back from God and the selfishness that leads us into greater sin. Moses is making that connection. And if we do not choose to master our sin, our sin will conquer us. And we sometimes think God is wrong on this because we look at our sin and we, like our pet lion, we've contained it. It's still in the cage, Pastor Mike. I just feed it every once in a while and it doesn't mess with my life. But every lion will one day get out of its cage and act like the predator that it is. And you and I both know people who've been destroyed by sin because they stupidly thought they could control it. Let me ask you this morning. What sin is in your life that you're tempted to ignore? Big or little? All of you have one or 10. What sin is in your life you've been ignoring? Some of you, it's passivity. Yeah, I know I got issues. I know I got to deal with that. And you put it off and you put it off and you put it off and you put it off. You got a habit. Yeah, it's probably not the best, Pastor. My friend, that's not a pet. That is a predator in your life. What sin, my friend, are you treating like a pet that you should be treating like a predator? Because it is crouching at your door and the reality is is that God is clear. Ignoring sin doesn't make it go away. It doesn't make it go away when you ignore it. In fact, ignoring your sin will only intensify your sin. And the passage shows us that because step number three is that sin escalates into harming our brothers and our neighbors. It costs us more than we want to pay. It takes us farther than we want to go. And it's immediately after Cain ignores God's intervention that he goes out and he intentionally and by premeditation murders his brother. Verse number eight gives us the indication that he was just innocently talking with his brother in a field. Now, I know you and I are used to hearing headlines of murder and school shootings and all that, but understand that this is, this is new revelation. This is, a, this is a new level of sin that the world has never experienced. Murder. Imagine the horror, especially of Adam and Eve, Not just the horror of finding their dead son, but finding out their other son killed him. And what Moses is trying to show us that our sin never stays between us and God. Some of you have sins in your life that it's just between you and God. You know he sees. You know he knows. You feel his conviction from his spirit, but thankfully you're you're glad it just stays there. 
And I found a lot of times we keep our sin between us and God. And as long as it's on that level, for whatever reason, we're okay with it. But it's as soon as sin gets exposed and it breaks out of the cage and it starts messing with other people that now we're like, oh no, I've got a problem on my hands. And what Moses is showing us is that sin never just stays between us and God. It will always and inevitably reach out and hurt other people. The private sins you tolerate will soon become the public sins that will hurt other people. Whether it's murder or a myriad of other ways. And verse number nine is so ironic, isn't it? Because God is interviewing Cain. And what's interesting is that here's Cain and he's so hardened to his sin that unlike Adam who avoids God, Cain lies to him. Where's Abel? Oh no. It's that teenage tone. That's how I imagine it. That's how Cain would have said it. Oh no. And he asks a really sarcastic and actually a mocking question. He mocks the, the vocation of his brother. Literally, it reads, am I the shepherd's shepherd? Come on, God. And you know why verse number nine sticks out to us and why it's one of the most famous sayings in all the Bible? is because as Moses writes this, it's an ironic question because the obvious answer to the question in verse number nine is, yeah, you are. And it's not just your blood, brothers, you're the keeper of. Moses would often call brothers the other people in the nation of Israel. And here's what he's showing is that our sin against God will one day break out and it will not just hurt our blood family, but it will hurt our faith family. Your private sins will eventually affect the family of God. And there's a myriad of ways that happens. Your anger and your bitterness that you have privately, that you think is contained, my friend, people see right through that in conversations you got bitterness in your own life, it'll affect your relationship with your spouse. You got anger in your own life, it'll affect everybody who walks around you. You're ignoring God in your worship, it'll affect your church. My friend, a, a, a culture of unacceptable worship begins with individuals with unacceptable worship. It starts breaking out and harming the body of Christ. It leads to harming our brothers and neighbors. Number four, the passage shows us that escalated sin brings escalated consequences. If you read verses 10 through 16 in light of what we saw in chapter number three, you'll see that actually the consequences God gives Cain are more severe than the ones he gave Adam. He adds to them. Verse number 11, look at it with me. He says to Cain, same thing he said to Adam, thou art cursed from the earth. But look at verse 12. It's more severe than Adam's curse because he says, when you till the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. You know what he's saying to Cain? He's saying, for Adam, I made it hard to get a crop. But for you, it'll be impossible. For Adam, I drove him away from the garden, but he settled in the broader area of Eden. But in verse number 11 or 12, he says, you'll have no place. You'll be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. You will have no dwelling place. Verse number 16 
shows us that Cain and his family lived in the broader area of Eden. So they were outside of the garden, but they were still in Eden. But Cain is driven all the way out of Eden into the land of Nod, which literally means wandering place. Cain's sin brought bigger consequences. I think there's this mistaken idea that even Christians have that yes, all sin is a violation in God's eyes, but not all sin has the same level of consequences. Bigger sin brings bigger consequences. And when you choose to allow sin to continue and gain a foothold in your life, my friend, count the days, you will start receiving the consequences of that sin. And they will be as big as the sin itself or even bigger. But what's amazing to me about this passage is that even in this very hard judgment, God shows grace. Verse number 13, Cain cries out for mercy. I don't think Cain is repenting, but I think he desires mercy from God. He says, my punishment is greater than I can bear. And and we kind of understand because it's pretty stern punishment. And Cain is worried in verse number 14 that because he's a fugitive and a vagabond, because he's the very first murderer, and if you're reading the Bible in context, you know that what we should expect to happen to a murderer is they should have to what? Die. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And ironically, here's the murderer worrying about being murdered in verse number 14. He says, I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. Same thing he did to Abel. Isn't it funny that sometimes the things we're most worried about and insecure about are the very sins we commit? Dealt with different couples, and I've no friends who are dealing with couples who are dealing with affairs, and it's always funny that the people who are most worried about having their, their spouse cheat on them are often the ones who are cheating themselves. And here is Cain, and he's worried that the sin is going to come back on him. Now, you and I, when we read this passage, we're like, serve up some justice, God. Kill that guy. Lay him down. Let him become dust and return to dust like he made his brother return to dust. But in verse number 15, God shows his grace. For no other reason than the fact that God is gracious, he says this in verse 15, Whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken upon him sevenfold. And the Lord, look at this, he set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. So rather than allowing Cain to die as a consequence for his sin, God puts a mark on him to preserve his life. And what's really interesting is this word for mark is the same word that is used for the sign the life-preserving sign of the rainbow. It's the same word that is used for the covenant sign God gives Abraham to circumcise his family. And I don't know what all to make of that other than this, that even in judgment, God showed grace and spared Cain's life. Because in reality, here's what Cain deserved. I think it's verse number 11 or 12. Verse number 10. He said, the voice of thy brother's blood crieth 
unto me from the ground. What Cain deserved was vengeance. And what he got was grace. And if God could spare the murderer of Adam's son, doesn't that prepare us for the equally strange reality that God is willing to spare you and I whose sins murdered his own son? Hebrews 12 makes this connection that while the blood of Abel cried out for vengeance, the blood of Christ cries out for forgiveness. It says in Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Our passage this morning warns us about the consequences of sin. But what we need to be reminded of this morning is that Jesus is the one who took the heavy consequences for our sin so that we could have our lives spared from judgment. The escalated consequences of sin were placed upon the body of his son as he was the one who died, not us. And the only way you and I can fully escape the consequence of sin this morning, and you and I deserve a whole lot, my friend, we deserve a whole lot, is by accepting the sacrifice Christ made on our behalf with his own body. But the truth of the matter is, is that even if we accept the grace of God, sin's effects often reach wider than we could have ever imagined. And that's why at the end of Cain's story, there's this odd genealogy. The list of his descendants in verses 17 through 24, because they show us that personal sin escalates to form a destructive culture. Now, I'm not going to read all the genealogy, but what's interesting to me is that as Moses is tracing Cain's descendants, he gives them some credit. It was the descendants of Cain that were responsible for the advancements in culture and technology. Look at verse number 17. Cain's descendants were the original city builders. Verse number 20, they were the ones who advanced shepherding practices. Verse number 21, Cain's descendants were responsible for the advancement of the arts in verse number 21. Verse 22, Cain's descendants were the responsible for the advancement of metalworking. Why is Moses saying this? Perhaps he's warning us that the same ones who advanced culture are often the same ones who advance corruption. And Moses is warning us as the seed of the woman, those who would place our faith in his son, Jesus Christ, that often the people who advance technology and culture are the same ones who advance sin. And that the personal choice of Cain to be a murderer and his personal sins would soon become family sins. Because what we see in Lamech is Cain 2.0. It says of Lamech in verse number 19 that Lamech was the father of having more than one wife. He was the father of polygamy. And then what's even more um, dark 
Is that in verse number 23 and 24? Lamech is boasting of the sin that Cain tried to hide. Rather than hiding sin, now he's just boasting about it. He's proud of it. Look at verse 23. Hear my voice. It's like he's pounding his chest in front of his two wives. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, I'll kill a man for hurting me. Well, that's not justice. Can we agree on that? This is injustice. I'll kill a man if he even tries to hurt me. And verse number 24 says, God said that Cain would be avenged sevenfold, but you better watch out because if you mess with Lamech here, I'll avenge you 77-fold. He's steeped lower. He's compromised more. And he's gone to a place of darker sin. What does this mean to us? Listen so well. I think Moses is lending some truth to the statement that we've all heard that what one generation tolerates, the next will embrace. Parents, watch your life because you'll be shocked to see the sins you tolerate multiplied in the next generation. I don't know why my kids don't go to church. Well, sometimes, I'm not saying this is always the case. Kids have moral agency and they can choose for themselves. But sometimes parents who treat church as an option have kids who don't treat church as an option at all. And we could go down and list all sorts of other things. It's not just church attendance. And friend, if you're an individual here this morning, what you need to recognize is that your sins have a broader impact on your family, or maybe if you don't have a family, they have a broader impact on society. Because what Moses is picturing here and what he's going to continue and write and show us in chapter number six is that it was the choice of Cain and his descendants to continue in sin and continue in sin and tolerate personal sin that led to an entire culture given over to sin. Sin that used to be an embarrassment was now a point of pride. And my friend, that doesn't happen because of other people. It happens when God's people tolerate sin. And we make exceptions for our own life. And what we don't realize is that it escalates and it forms into family sins, generational sins, and cultural sins. I think chapter four is warning us that you, the sins of your life don't just affect you. It'll always affect others, even society itself. Sin will take you further than you wanna go. It'll keep you longer than you wanna stay. And it'll cost you more than you wanna pay. And the only answer this morning is for you to conquer sin now so sin does not conquer you and your family later. Don't treat it like a pet when you should be treating it like a predator. And the hope for us this morning is that you and I have a greater hope than Cain did. 
Because we can look at the final victory Christ had over sin and death on the cross, and we can look at that victory and know that our sins individually can be conquered by the power of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He has given you the power and the promise to conquer sin, and you just have to choose to do it. Like God said to Cain, it's your choice. It's your choice. Every head bowed and every eye closed, everybody in this room has something to do business with God about. Everybody in this room has sins in their life they are tolerating. And I know, I know it can be so tempting. The voice of the flesh will say, he's just making a bigger deal out of it than is necessary. No, friend, no, no, no. Your sin is serious. There is grace through Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness in the blood of his son, but your sin is serious. It needs to be eradicated from your life. My prayer this morning is that unlike Cain, instead of denying your sin, you will confess your sin. You know what sins God wants to deal with And so I pray that as the piano plays, you will bow your head and confess your sins to a holy God, recognizing that it is him you have harmed first. And it'll be soon enough that you won't just hurt your relationship with God, you will hurt your relationship with others. Let's spend some time praying and dealing with our sins this morning.